We're going to be in John 6 this morning. If you want to, feel free to turn there. Uh, years ago, I told a friend of mine who was a farmer that I thought I kind of wanted to be a farmer too. And uh, he started quizzing me on what that meant, what that looked like. So he said something like, you mean that you want to get up at every morning at 4.30, Mike? I said, well, no, that's not quite what I had in mind. And he said, you mean you want to work seven days a week? And I said, well, no, no, that's not it either. And he said something like, you want to you gamble every year on the rain and the drought and the crop prices and et cetera. And I said, well, no, that's, that's not quite it either. And he says a few more questions, and at the end he summarizes, and he says, Mike, you don't want to be a farmer. You want to live in the country. <laughs> okay. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. I thought I wanted one thing, but I really didn't. What I thought I wanted and what I really wanted were entirely different. And Jeff clarified that for me when he asked me these questions. And this morning, that's our introduction to John 6. This morning, keep that in mind as we have a, a brief portion of John 6 that we look at this morning. By the way, <clears throat> John 6 is certainly one of the pinnacles of the New Testament. And it's a long chapter and it's got great important theology. That also means it's sometimes a little difficult to pick apart uh, so that week by week you can put something together that's coherent and helpful and still true to the text. So I hope that that all makes sense as we take a small portion of this today. But we're going to be at verses 30 through 35. And if you remember, this is still the interaction between Jesus and those folks who have followed him because he fed them, fed the 5,000 up near Bethsaida, and now they followed him over to Capernaum. And he's having this conversation with them about food and bread and what's worth chasing after, etc. And if you remember, he told them last time, hey, don't work for that food that perishes, but for the food that lasts to eternal life that the Son of Man will give you. They said, well, how do we get that? And he says, you believe on me. Believe on me. So he's made a claim, and now they're kind of questioning his claim. They're kind of saying, you're telling us to believe in you for eternal life, and, and why should we do that? Who are you anyway? And that's where we pick up today at verse 30. They said, therefore, to him, what then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said therefore to him, Lord, Evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Back at verses 30 through 31, what sign do you give, what work do you do, Jesus, for us to believe in you? And where does this come from anyway? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As I understand it, these guys are still looking for another meal, by the way. That's really their priority. They got fed once, and they're following Jesus, and they want to be fed again. But also, based on Jesus' reply, they seem to be saying this too. Look, we recognize Moses as God's man, 
And Moses fed us, fed our fathers, manna in the wilderness. He was affirmed as the leader from God because he gave us manna from God in the wilderness. So you do this. You make your claim, you prove your claim to us, and you feed us manna too, and then we'll believe you. Now I want to put this in perspective. Jesus has told them, work for food that lasts forever, believe on me, and you get it. Now he tells them I'm the bread of life. Believe on me, you'll get the bread of life. So they say, we want what you want, Lord, give us, give us that bread. We think we know what we want, you give us that bread, we're good to go. But I want to frame this in a little larger context, and to do this I'm going to make some quotes out of uh, Exodus and Numbers. And listen to this. And again, remember what they're saying. Here's Jesus, he claims to be God's man, and he claims to have God's provision for eternal life. And they say, hey, that man, that was a good affirmation in the Old Testament. You give us that, we're good to go. Listen to this, though, out of Exodus. When Moses, God's man, went to Israel, listen to the reception he got. An Israelite says to Moses, who made you a prince or a judge over us? This was after he killed an Egyptian to save a Jew. The other Jew asked him, who made you a ruler or a prince over us, Moses? Later, when Moses comes back to Egypt as God's appointed man, and he introduces himself to the people, and they initially believe, but then Pharaoh makes things a little tough, the Jews say to Moses, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. May the Lord bring you down, Mo. You've made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants. They want to kill us now. Or Exodus 16. They're out in the wilderness. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They complained. They're bickering. And this is what they said. Oh, that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full... You've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Does this sound familiar? These guys, they're being led out of slavery to the promised land. And what do they say? We sure like that last meal. Just like these guys. Hey, you fed us once. Will you feed us again? We like that last meal. Oh, that we were back in Egypt. We had a little food in the pot. And, and we don't care if we're slaves. Just take us back there and give us what we had before. In Numbers 11... The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel, they wept again and they said, Boo-hoo, who will give us meat to eat? Antonia, that's what they said. And they said, we remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And now our appetite is gone. And listen to what they say. There is nothing at all to look at except this stinking manna. Give us that meat, give us the onions and the garlic, but whatever you do, don't give us this stinking manna. Uh, that's the context. I just want you to understand. This is Israel in the wilderness. This is the context. So think of this. In Jesus' day, they say, give us manna like Moses in the wilderness, and we'll believe you. But in Moses' day, they said, give us meat like we had in Egypt. Are you with me? 
in both scenarios, they think they know what they're after, but they don't. They, they say they want one thing, but that's not really what they want. And I'm not sure much has changed for you or I today. Verse 41, which we won't look at today, it says the Jews were grumbling about Jesus. It's the same language even. So here's this group following Jesus, and they say, give us that manna and we'll believe, basically. The funny thing is, their forefathers got the manna and said, oh, no, 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 give us the meat we had back in Egypt. Take us back where we used to be, because this isn't it. We said we wanted to be delivered. We didn't mean it. What we really want is a little onion, a little garlic, a little slab of steak, or a little piece of meat. Don't give us. We really don't want what we said we wanted. This is the same thing going on in Jesus' conversation. We haven't read further, but if you've read John 6, you know where this goes. It goes to rejection. And all these people following Jesus because they say they want a meal, what do they do in the end? They all go back to Egypt. They turn around and they walk away. Verse 32 and 33, they say, based on this thing about manna, uh, give us the manna and we'll believe. Jesus says, uh, it wasn't Moses. Remember, they're looking for affirmation. Prove to us you're God's man. And they didn't say Moses' name, but Jesus understands they're inferring Moses was validated by the manna. Validated by God as God's leader by the manna. So Jesus says, it's not Moses who gave you the bread out of heaven. It's my Father. My Father's the one, not Moses, who gives you the true bread. And the bread of God is that which comes out of, down out of heaven and gives life to the world. He's attempting to correct their thinking here. The first thing he says is, it wasn't Moses who gave you the manna. Moses isn't the object. He's not the one to look to. God the Father is the one you need to set your eyes on. Moses is not the issue. He wasn't the issue then. He's not the issue now. It's God, my Father, who gives you the bread. The second thing he says is the manna was okay, but the manna wasn't enough. Manna was okay, and it was a temporary provision for Israel in the wilderness, but these guys, they're still thinking about food. Right now, give me that food, and manna would be sufficient. Barley and fish before and a little manna today would be just swell, Jesus. And he's saying, same thing we've talked about before, guys. Manna's fine, but it's not enough. Manna will last you one more meal, but it won't last to eternal life. It's the same thing again. Your sights are too low. Manna's okay, but it's not enough. And the third thing is, God has this, instead of manna, he has what he calls true bread. True bread, which gives life to the whole world. Think about Israel in the wilderness. It's a small group of people, relatively speaking, uh, compared to the world. And the manna gives them life each day, but it doesn't do anything beyond that. And Jesus is saying, hey, the real bread, the real manna, is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the whole world, eternal life to the whole world. Not one little people group, not one day, but the bread from heaven gives life forever. Now, I love their response. They say, we'll take it. Lord, okay, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. We want eternal life, so give us the bread. We'll be good to go. This sounds okay. 
And then look at verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is not what they were expecting to hear. They're still, Jesus is talking here and they're talking here. And this is what I mean about sometimes what we think we want and what we really want, they're not the same thing. Jesus is talking up here, they're talking down here, and they don't quite get it. So when they say, Lord, we'll take some of that bread, Jesus says, great, I'm it. I am the bread that gives life to the world. He who comes to me won't hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But you know what? This isn't what they really want. Because as you know, if you've read John 6... They turn and walk away. They're stumbled by this. Now, Jesus' own disciples find what he says here in this passage difficult. It's not that it was easy necessarily. But they decide that they really don't want the bread of life. They decide that they really don't want the manna from heaven. They said they did, and they thought they did. But in the end, their actions prove they really didn't. For another context or comparison, let me read a few verses out of John 4. Do you remember a similar conversation John or Jesus had with a woman in Samaria at the well? And listen to this, this uh, comparison. In John 4:12, the woman at the well in Samaria, when Jesus says he's got this better water, she says, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Uh, look, we've got somebody we know and trust. Jew boy, and he's Jacob. Now, are you better than Jacob? And here in John 6, they're basically saying, are, are you as good as Moses? Or are you better than Moses? He fed us manna. Are you better than him? Or in John four thirteen, Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water, dear, will thirst again. You'll get thirsty again. And in John 6, 27a, he says, don't work for the food which perishes. It ends. This water, he tells her, ends. Your food, guys, ends. John 14, 14, Jesus says, Whoever drinks the water that I'll give him shall never thirst. The water that I will give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. In John 6, 27, the food, Jesus says, which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. On him the Father, even God, has set a seal. Incredibly similar conversations. And then the woman says the same thing. She says, sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty and I won't have to come here to draw the water from the well. And here they say, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And of course, Jesus is talking about eternal life and they're talking about water in the well. Jesus is talking about bread from heaven and they're talking about, you know, a little salted fish and a little barley bread. They're talking the same words or language, but they mean entirely different things and they're after entirely different things it is interesting though in john 6 35 jesus ties both of these conversations together when he says i'm the bread of life this is in the context of john 6 i'm the bread of life he who comes to me shall not hunger he could have stopped there but he goes on to say and he who believes in me shall never thirst i'm the bread of life that gives life to the world i'm the water of life that brings eternal life uh, our tendency, this is, a, this is a small world view, so to speak, of our tendency. We tell the Lord what we want. We think we know what we want. And then he shows us what we've asked for. And we say, no, that's not what I meant. 
Not what I meant. And these conversations, the woman at the well, the water of life, John 6, the bread of life, Jesus is talking to people about something, and they say, yeah, that's what I want. And then he tells them what it is, and then they say, no, that's not what I meant. One of the things you and I have to, I think, be particularly careful about is that we must recognize our own tendency to not want what God wants. That is, we might frame our desires in religious language, biblical language. We might tell God that what we really want is His will. And then He shows it to us and we say, yeah, but that's not what I meant. This is what I'm talking about over here. Listen to what Stephen says in Acts 7. He's speaking this to the religious leaders of Israel. And remember, these guys could quote the Old Testament. They'd memorize the Old Testament, most of these guys had. They could quote it verbatim. They were the religious leaders of Israel. They had all the moral respect of the nation, etc., etc., etc. And this is what Stephen says to them. You men who are stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just what your fathers did. These folks in John 6, they're doing just what their fathers did in Exodus 11. Same thing. They're rejecting God's man, and they're rejecting God's provision and directives. He says, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They hold up Moses as someone they followed. Their fathers rejected Moses. They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. I love this because this is where you and I live much of the time. We're stiff-necked. We tell God, oh, we want your will. Remember, Israel said they were waiting for the Messiah. These guys knew all the Messianic passages. And when the Messiah comes, they say, no, but that's not what we wanted. We want this. And they reject it. What they said they wanted and what they really wanted were not the same at all. And Stephen says, you are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. In Jeremiah 42, I won't read this passage, but I'll just tell you briefly. When God had told Israel, I'm going to judge you, I'm bringing you down. And he told them the reasons why. And he says, I'm going to use Nebuchadnezzar to destroy this nation and to destroy the city Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar comes and does just that. And there's this remnant who has escaped the destruction of the city. And they take the prophet Jeremiah with them. And as they're kind of hovering in the southern part of the land of Judah, trying to make up their mind, Lord, what do we do? They tell Jeremiah, they say, listen, would you please go to the Lord on our behalf? And whatever the Lord says to do, that's what we are going to do. Whatever he says, and uh, he says, what, they say whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, whether it seems good to us or not, Jeremiah, you go to God, you get his directions for us, and we'll listen to the voice of the Lord our God to whom we're sending you, in order that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God. Jeremiah, go to him, pray to him on our behalf, and tell him, Lord, whatever you want, whether it seems good or bad, That's what we want. That's what we'll do. So Jeremiah goes, and he prays. And ten days later, God speaks to him, and he comes back. And and he says for God, he says, guys, this is it. If you'll go back into the land, 
If you'll submit to Nebuchadnezzar's rule, I will bless you in the land. You'll be spared, you'll have your lives, and you'll actually be blessed. And all you have to do is stay in the land, don't leave, don't run down into Egypt. And frankly, even as Jeremiah is telling them this, he says, you wicked people, because I know you won't do what God's telling you to do. And in fact, in Jeremiah 43, Ahaziah the son of Hoshiah and Johanan the son of Korea and all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, you're lying. <laughs> what you've just told us, you're lying. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, don't go down into Egypt. This is classic. Jeremiah, we want God's will. We'll do whatever he says. You just go find out what it is. And Jeremiah tells him, this is God's will. Go up here, be safe in the land, be blessed. And Jeremiah tells him, but you know, the truth is, I know you're not going to do it anyway. And God says, he's going to judge every one of you in the land of Egypt. Sword, pestilence, and famine, I'm going to kill all of you because you've resisted my will again. Lord, whatever you want. I want to close by making these two points. Um, You know, if you and I know that our natural carnal tendency is to oppose God, we should go into life and whatever the experiences we're facing, we should go in thinking, you know what my tendency is? It's to be stiff-necked and to oppose God's will. I should go in thinking this. And when I go in telling God, oh Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. You know, I should, boy, I should hold that pretty lightly and say with Ezekiel or Psalms, Lord, I realize that my heart is so wicked, I don't even know what I'm really after half the time. Lord, I realize sometimes I tell you one thing and I really mean another. We should go in to our prayers to God. We should go into the circumstances we face knowing our tendency is not to follow God. It's not to want what he wants. It's to say one thing, the right thing, the thing we think we're supposed to say, and then do another. That's our tendency. So if I pray to God for bread, and he gives me rye instead of wheat, is that okay? You see where this is going. If I say to God, Lord, I'm happy if you want me to be single or if you want me to be married. Is that what I really mean? Or if I say, this affects everything we do, guys. It affects every area of our life. If I say, when I pray, Lord, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Do I mean your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Or do I mean, Lord, your will as long as it's my will on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this is everything. This affects everything. When we pray to God and we face the circumstances in our life that he causes or allows, where is our heart really at? And if we know we tend to be stiff-necked, if we know that we tend to follow our evil hearts, we need to go in aware of that. Lord, I realize I'm saying one thing. Let my, unite my heart, David prayed. Unite my heart to fear your name. Make me my thoughts and my motives and my will. Make them all the same so that I really want what you want. It's not the same thing. Do I want to be a farmer or do I just want to live in the country? You know, do I want 
the bread of heaven or do I want a little leeks and onions, you know? Our actions and our choices prove what we're really after. And also, I didn't uh, highlight, and uh, I will later, the phrase, I am the bread of life. This is pay dirt in this passage, but Jesus will bring this up again, and this is when we'll focus on it um, here in another couple of weeks. I am the bread of life. When you and I are praying, or when we're setting out our life, or thinking about where we're going or what we want, ask yourself this. In the end, are we really after Christ himself? Are we really after the Lord himself? If we're after anything else, it's idolatry. Anything short of Christ is idolatry. Your heart and mine, your life and mine can be satisfied by nothing less than Christ himself in the end. Bread, be it rye or manna, or meat, be it fish or fowl or whatever. Anything you can think of, any good good thing you can think of that's not Christ becomes an idol if that's what we're setting our heart on or our eyes on. See, these guys in John 6, they're saying, Lord, give us that bread of life. What they really mean is just give us another meal because they're not interested in the bread of life. In the end, when you and I pray, when we set the course of our life, when we're facing situations, ask yourself, Lord, is my goal really to know you, to draw near to you, and to honor you? Are you the center of my desires? Are you the center, not just of what I say, but of what I really want? Are you my goal? Are you it? Or is it something else? Is it something less than that? That's kind of the bottom line. Jesus said in John 4, in context of the woman at the well, he said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus says, this is what sustains me through life. It's honoring the Father. So when you and I pray or when we think about life, or Lord, what do I need to do here or there? What are you calling me to? Those words of Jesus, we should be able to land there. Lord, we're delighting to do your will. That's the bottom line. We find our joy or our completion or our satisfaction not in our next meal, not in a bigger house, not in one job versus another, but we find our satisfaction in you yourself or in you alone. So where are our hearts really? Is what we say to God what we really mean? Is that where we really live? And are we making Christ himself the goal? Or are we setting our eyes on those leeks and those onions and that manna and that barley bread? So take that home and chew on that. And let's pray. Uh, Lord, your word says that our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know it? That, Lord, we don't know the motives of our own souls. Lord, I know that in the end, what we do reflects what we really believe and where our desires really lie. Lord, thanks that you're in the business of taking those who are opposed to you, saving us, and then beginning that transforming process to make us look more and more like your son. And Father, I want to pray personally and pray for us as a church the words of David, search me, O God, and try me. 
see if there be any hurtful way in me. Lord, thanks that you author and you complete this transforming work and help us to be open to what your spirit is saying to each of us. And Lord, help us to be malleable clay, moldable clay. Help us not just to say religious words or show up at church, Lord, or do whatever else that looks religious, just like the Pharisees who crucified your son. But Lord, unite our hearts to fear your name. Help us to desire what you desire. And Lord, help us to set our eyes and our affection, our mind and our will on the person of your son, the Lord Jesus, in his name. Amen.